Welcome to Overcoming Working Mum Burnout, Mindset and Managerial Solutions to Unrealistic Expectations and Gender Inequality at Home and Work. I'm your host, Dr. Jacqueline Kerr, a working mum, a behaviour scientist and a burnout survivor. Each person's burnout journey is different and maybe you don't even recognise it as burnout, but you're here because you're exhausted spent and you have nothing left to give and that doesn't sit well there isn't an easy solution to this complex societal problem but hopefully each episode provides new insight if you are a career mum and a manager who wants to support career women and you're willing to have frank conversations about what makes life so difficult as a mum partner colleague and leader this is the podcast for you i talk with burnout experts HR experts and life coaches about the real reasons working mums burn out and the unrealistic expectations we face. We identify behavior change strategies that support and empower working mums to continue to grow and to advocate for change at home, work and in society at large. When mums thrive at work and at home, the world benefits. Let's learn together and share solutions that work. This week, I am learning about balancing stressors and resources with parental burnout expert, Dr. Isabel Roskam. Just a heads up, this episode is a little longer than normal. Isabel provides a lot of in-depth information on parental burnout. If you're struggling with her or my accent, you can see the transcript or discussion notes on the website. If my voice sounds a little funny, I did this interview at 5 a.m. I learned so much. I hope you do too. Okay, so my name is Isabelle Roskam. I'm the happy mother of five children. The youngest is seven and the oldest is 21. I have also twins, so many experience as a mother. And uh, my current position is that I'm full professor at the UC Louvain in Belgium, so uh, a university in the Department of Psychology. Great. Thank you so much. So please, could you describe your journey to where you are now in your career? Okay, so when I started, yes, I was first a a clinical psychologist in a university hospital in Brussels, and I was working in a unit uh, for ill and chronic ill children and children with developmental disabilities. And I was really interested by specific consultation requests for very young children displaying externalizing behavior, so very hard to manage children. And I was working also at the university. I had already my PhD and I started a longitudinal research on this kind of young children to see what happened with them as they get older and uh, if they become ADHD or CDD or ODD children. And I was interested in parenting these children and I had many experience with those parents who were completely disappointed with their children because they misbehaved at at home, but also at school. And it was really difficult for them. And those children were very young. And at this moment, I I was working with one of my colleagues who is uh, an expert in emotional competencies and stress and so on. 
And during a discussion, she asked me, okay, so I'm interested in job burnout. And I was wondering if they will like burnout uh, does exist also in the parenting domain. And okay, I said, I think it's not a, a concept we use in the parenting area, but we looked uh, in the previous literature and found that this concept rose in the 80s, but nobody was interested in this phenomenon. Quickly, we had a strong interest in this new topic of research, and uh, she stopped completely working on her previous research area. And that's what, that was the same for me and completely abandoned externalizing behavior and young children development. And we started a new research line. And now we worked on this topic on from five years. And it's really amazing. That's great. Thanks so much for that background. I can sympathize with working in new fields. When I first came into my research, the the built environment that we were working on was new and we had to develop measures and, and study it. And it's difficult when there aren't examples ahead of you of what you should do, what you should measure, etc. Yeah, but it's exciting because as a researcher, usually you work in a in an existing area and you have to, to seek for your place and how you will provide new insights in, in one field, which is sometimes very developed by others. And uh, in this field, it's very exciting because everything has to be done. Yeah, it's really amazing to be at the start of the story. And you can be a real leader in this field. Let me have you define parental burnout for the audience and also then how it's different from job burnout that maybe most people have heard of and and maybe understand a little already, but also maybe not. I feel like I, I came to understand both of them once I had experienced it and didn't really know about it at at the time. So yes, if you could define parental burnout and and job burnout. Thank you. Yeah. And burnout is like a feeling of extreme and severe exhaustion in a specific role. That makes the difference, for example, with depression, which is uh, (laughs) cross-sectional across domains, across areas of life. Burnout is specific to one role and for example you can be burned out by your job but not in parenting and the reverse is also true and uh, most of the time parents who burn out say that they stay in the they workplace uh, for a long time because they want to avoid the stress coming from uh, parenting and the same is also true uh, for those who are in, in a job burnout, they say that, okay, my family is my safe even. So your family is where you feel safe from work. Interesting. Yeah. Burnout is a, a stress-related syndrome, which corresponds to too much stress too long with too few resources to cope with stressors. And like in, in parenting, but also in, in the workplace, stress is just something normal. It's unrealistic to to say that you will be a parent without stress. We have stress as parents and it is needed to be ready to uh, rear our children to be a little bit stressed for them. How will be this day or if they will be ill or not, if they will complete their school year, (laughs) have success or something like that. So the stress is just normal, both in parenting and in, in job life. But 
what leads to burnout is when you have too much stress too long and you don't have resources enough to cope with stressors. And so it's like a balance. And in case of burnout, there is an imbalance between the stressors on the one hand and the resources you have on the other hand. And when you are in burnout, we can define parenting burnout based on three symptoms. And it's also the same for job burnout, but the symptoms are quite similar, but also quite different. In job burnout, job burnout has been defined by Christina Maslash in the 70s. And the three symptoms are emotional exhaustion. So you feel so exhausted that, okay, the idea that you have to go to your work today is just so hard that you are no longer able to come out from your bed. You have zero energy when you think that you have to go uh, to work. And it's the same in parenting. It's just the same. Parents say, okay, I have zero energy as far as each time as I have to think about my children, the activities I have to do uh, for them, caring them, playing with them. Okay, I have zero energy and I'm in a survival mode in my parenting role. So exhaustion is present in both job burnout and parental burnout. In job burnout, the second symptom is something like cynicism. And so that means that, for example, if you are a nurse, rather than talking about Mrs. Jones, for example, you will talk about case B (laughs) in room C. Because you have some kinds of detachment and you can become also cynical about people you care for because you don't have empathy for them anymore because you are so exhausted. So you become cynical and lack empathy. And that's hard as a caregiver. Yeah, it's a kind of protection of yourself to become distant from the patients you care or for the clients that you have in the workplace. In parenting, you have a a sort of emotional distancing phenomenon, meaning that the parents who do not have energy anymore, they do just the the bare minimum. So they feed their children, they they put them to bed, (laughs) they uh, put them at school, but not more. So they do not have the energy, for example, to listen to them about what they have done at school how they feel. And so it's like a a very cold parenting without empathy, without emotions, without emotional connection between the parent and the child anymore. That's tough. I'm trying to remember if I felt like that. I have never been that good with emotions. Yeah. And the third symptom in the workplace is uh, loss of efficacy. In parenting, it is not like loss of efficacy because the parents knows what he has to do with the child. But it's much more like a saturation, feelings of being fed up, something like no pleasure to be with the child, to have a meal, to have leisure time, uh, just to be with them. The the parent who is burnt out has no pleasure to be uh, with the children. And so he he tried to escape, he tried to avoid uh, any kind of situation. We had a mother who told us that, okay, I stayed in my workplace very late. And when I came back at home, I hoped that my husband put them to bed because when they sleep, I'm still able to love them. (laughs) That's painful to admit. And what's important, the parent, as as he or she was before the burnout episode, and the parent who is burned out. In parental burnout, 
the majority, the vast majority of the parents were highly involved parents, parents who wanted to be the best uh, mothers and the best fathers. And sometimes because they do have uh, high standards, uh, high perfectionism, for example, they become to be burned out. That sounds like me. And there is a strong contrast between the parent as he wants to be or as he was before the burnout episode and then the parent during the burnout episode. And this contrast is very evident for the parent. And so uh, most of the mothers and the fathers say, okay, I do not recognize myself and I was not this kind of mother or this kind of father. And this contrast is also evident for the the, the partner and also for the children themselves. Great, thank you so much. And it's really helpful to hear that definition. And I can imagine, like myself, that maybe people feel like they have some of that, maybe not the the extremes you've described. I remember a colleague who I'll be interviewing soon. I spoke to her when she had left the university and was working in her own business because she had burned out or, or just really felt she could no longer continue in her role. And I remember she said to me, I used to cry on the way to work. And I was at the time, the reason I was talking to her partly was because I was considering leaving the university. I was struggling, I was stressed, but I wasn't yet crying on the way to work. And I remember when I cried on the way to work and I cried on the way home because I was equally exhausted to what I was going to face when I walked through the door at home. So I maybe was not as paralyzed as not able to get out of bed or or put them to bed so that I had no contact with my kids. But suddenly that feeling of just not enjoying being a parent really was difficult. And I think at the time I just said to myself that I was having a breakdown or that I was having a midlife crisis because of my age. But then since then, I've been reading more and more about burnout and about other topics and realizing that, yes, some of my high expectations for myself as a mother got in my way. But also, as you say, those lack of resources and the constant chronic stress, I definitely could relate to those situations in, in my life as well. Can I add to just just two, two, two things? The first one is that what you describe is the process of burnout, of course, not all the three symptoms come together one day, okay, uh, suddenly, okay. And so the process uh, starts in most of the situation by exhaustion. So you, you just feel to be in a very important fatigue and uh, just overwhelming exhaustion. But that not, that does not mean that you are already in this kind of emotional distancing and loss of pleasure with your children. And in this first phase, it's very important to prevent burnout. Why? Because we know now that burnout has uh, very deleterious consequences like neglect and violence against children. And these two kinds of consequences are associated with the second stage, which is emotional distancing. It is because as a parent, you don't feel empathetic with your children or to your children, that you become able to be neglectful and violent against them. And so it's really important to recognize that burnout is like a process and that when you are in the first phase of exhaustion, 
you need to be in a preventive action because you have to prevent the consequences that arise in the second phase with the loss of emotional connection with the child and with the loss of pleasure. And so it's really uh, important for professionals, for clinicians, for example, to be able to recognize. So that was the first uh, things I, I wanted to add. Thanks. I am all about prevention coming from public health. And the second one is that in the balance between stressors and resources, there are a, a lot of different kinds of stressors and different kinds of resources. And the process of imbalance between stress and resource is always the same for all people. But what is in your balance, your story? You have stressors that I not have, and you have some resources that I do not have, and the reverse is also true. So each burnout has its, has its own story. And the nature of the stressors which uh, have been accumulated in, in your balance is very specific to your life and to my life. If in your balance you have the perfectionism trait as a, a, a feature, as a, a stressor, you will be at risk not only to be in parental burnout, but also in job burnout. And one person who has main stressors which are common to job and parenting burnout, like neuroticism or low emotional competencies or perfectionism traits or something like that, then you will be at risk to be in burnout in all the spheres. So both in job burnout and also in parental burnout. And so it's really interesting to, to consider what is in my own balance uh, when I feel exhausted. Uh, because if I have uh, very common factors, then I must care because I, I am at risk to be in burnout, not only in, in my parenting, but also in, in my job. Thank you. That's very helpful to explain. And again, I feel like I understood these things in hindsight because... I didn't consider myself a perfectionist. I felt like everything I did was imperfect and always expected it to be. But then when I started to understand it was that expectation nonetheless of the nothing I did was enough and just fear of criticism. I started to understand a little bit that I did have aspects of perfectionism and that, yes, they were in both arenas of my life. They helped me be successful in my work because I was an extremely hard worker. But then I realized it, it had put me at risk. And I think that's what I very much understood was that I had a role in this. I could see that there were things from outside, lack of support in certain areas at work and at home, but I could also see that my interaction or my fit with those things, I, I consider it this person environment fit. So my personality in this situation together didn't go well. And so that's where I've really been trying to understand that. And that's why I focus on both mindset solutions and managerial solutions, because I really think both are important. And the work I did, for example, we considered these ecological models where I could encourage somebody to be physically active and give them the motivation and the mindset. But if they then stepped out into a neighborhood 
where there was no sidewalk, where it wasn't safe to walk, then it was the environment that was at play. And so it was the combination of the two that we always needed to try and work on in our interventions and to understand in the work we did. So I feel I bring the same a mindset or the same scientific perspective to this issue, which is, yes, there's things parents can do and individuals in workplaces can do themselves, but there are also circumstances around them that make it easier or worse. And the question is, can we also change those circumstances? And I certainly know in programs that I've run where I've taught older adults, for example, to coach older adults to be physically active they get so much reward when they also work on the built environment and change the length of a crosswalk timing, for example, because they realize, okay, that change is forever. That's what's so wonderful about if we can change um, policies and environments as well, it really helps because those changes affect everybody and is long lasting. When I do a coaching one-to-one, it's just that individual. So I can see the benefits of thinking about both. So, so maybe you could tell me a little bit about the interventions that you do for parental burnout. First, the reason why we developed interventions was that parental burnout is highly prevalent, at least in Western countries, and many parents are concerned, and we wanted to provide them solutions. The idea is uh, to think about the balance between stress and resources. And the, the core idea of the treatment is that we try to rebalance the parental balance. And to do that, we use four uh, avenues. The two first one concern the stressors and the two other one concern the resources. So we gather eight to 12 parents together and we use the balance as the common process for every participant. But what composes the balance of each parent is uh, different. And what we try to do is to remove from the balance some unuseful stressors and to be aware about the stressors I have in my balance and to think about some of them who are not useful (laughs) and that I can decide to drop. I will give you a very simple example, but imagine that you have three children. When the first one was born, you wanted to optimize his or her development and the child has two, maybe three extracurricular activities, a sport, culture, music, I don't know, and social activities and so on. And when the second one was born, you loved him or her just at the same extent. And so you also wanted to optimize his or her development. And she or he has also three or uh, two or three extracurricular activities. And the third one, the same. And so at a certain moment, you have nine, even 12 activities, extra curricular activities to manage in a week. And so it's just highly stressful for you, for your partner, for the children themselves, because you don't have time to take, to have a meal time correctly. When you arrive at home, it's late and you have Also to do the homework for the children and they are tired. Okay, you are just like a taxi and it's really uh, exhausting to to have such kind of parental life. And that's an example of a chronic stress. And 
one day you just feel exhausted because each week is very hard to manage with the children. And you can decide, okay, I have too much stress now in my balance and I want to remove some part. And maybe you can consider that you are not a, a bad mother or a bad father. If you say to your children, okay, we are a family with three children and each child has to choose one, maximum two extracurricular activities. If not, we do not have time to be together and to enjoy to be together. And so I must limit the number of extracurricular activities. And you will feel that your balance will change very simply, uh, but you must just decide that, okay, now I, I will be aware of my stressor and I want to, to check which one I'm able to just drop. Okay, and it's different from one parent to another. For this parent, removing extracurricular activity is not a problem because he, he doesn't feel guilty about that. But for another parent, he, he will decide to remove another stressor. Whatever the stressor you remove, it's important to just be aware of what compose your balance and what you can just decide for a long time or just for several weeks to, to just to alleviate some pressure. When you put it like that, it's easy to see how it builds up and you don't even realize why. The second avenue is that we have some stressors in the balance that we are not able to remove because it's impossible. Imagine that you have a child with ADHD. Okay, you can change your child. He will have a high agitation and motor activity, but... You can say, okay, uh, for example, doing homework with this kind of child is really hard. And I can just lower my standards and decide that I can, I can do homework with my child two or three days a week, but I will delegate to someone else or to the school or to a neighbor or, I don't know, a friend or a grandparent or my partner or I can uh, decide with the teacher that uh, one day in the week, the child doesn't do any kind of homework because it is counterproductive. The child is not able to do, to do the homework all the days in the week, the, the problem of hyperactivity. And you can just uh, try to lower the impact of some stressors in your balance. So the weight of the stressor, you cannot remove some stressor, but you can, in most of cases, you can try to alleviate the weight of some stressors. It makes sense. There is always something you can decide to let go of. And on the counterpart, we work on the resources. And the resources, we have also two avenues. The first one is to become aware of all the resources I have already in my balance. And most parents say, okay, I have a very nice partner or I have very uh, nice children, but I never ask them anything. Okay, <laughs> why? Because I'm so perfectionist. But perfectionist that I think that if someone else do my job or do my task, it won't be done like I would like that this task will be done. And so you need to, to consider what prevents you from using the resources that you have and decide how can I change my mindset, my uh, beliefs, my way of thinking uh, to accept, to agree that, okay, I can share some tasks, I can receive some help 
from other people, from my children or from my partner, uh, so and so on, to make a better use of the resources that you already have in your balance. And most parents have a lot of resources, but most of them do not use them because they have sometimes beliefs, individualistic beliefs, for example, that they must be self-reliant as a parent. And asking help is something like a threat, like saying that I'm not able to be a parent by myself, for example. And so there are different kinds of mechanisms that prevent them to use the resources they have. That sounds like me. And the second avenue for the resources is that you will try, we will try to add new resources, original resources. And we try that the parents together in the group, in the treatment group, became very creative. And one example I, I like very much is the one of uh, one father who, who told the group that he liked in the past to spend two days with her spouse. And it was really important for him, but because they have three children and the grandparents were old, it was impossible for him to, yeah, to have a, a break, a weekend together with his wife. And we tried to, to make a sort of brainstorming to have new ideas. And the idea which arise from the group was that, okay, we will create a Facebook group with the parents of all the children in the classroom, the classroom of their children. And the idea was that if you come into the group, the deal is that you will take the children from another family from Friday at night to Sunday midday. And in another moment in the school year, another family will do the same for you. And so the father said to us, told us that he gained two qualitative weekends, two quality time in a year. The one, of course, when he leave, um, the, the home with his wife, but also the weekend, they welcome the children from another family. And so th this is uh, one example of uh, a new creative resource that we can bring into our balance to just to alleviate the weight of the stressor and to improve the weight of the resources. Great. Those are wonderful examples. And I can relate to them. I think when you start to say that one child is three activities, but three children is then nine or 12 activities, you can start to see how it adds up. And I think everybody's perspective on after school activities did change during COVID. It gave us a chance to assess what that was like. I also think about the homework. So for example, my son is on the autism spectrum and we change schools to a school that we call here in the US a charter school and actually one of their principles is no homework because they really have a philosophy in the school about the family and they don't want kids coming home and then parents not having good time teaching their children to be children rather than teaching them the school work they want the parents to be able to have good relationships with their children and I remember speaking to a a single dad when my kids were in um, the public school system and he was having arguments with his son every night over homework. But I felt like that's getting in the way of his relationship with his son. But I don't know that it's that easy to then necessarily have that conversation with a teacher or the school if you're not in a system like we're in where the philosophy is we, we want you to have a relationship with your child and that teaches them so many 
important things in itself. So how do you help people be able to have those conversations? And again, even asking for help can be hard. And, and I felt that problem. And, and I, one, didn't really know what help I needed. Once I started getting my kids to actually solve their own problems, that really helped me because I realized I'm not responsible for this. And they have fantastic ideas themselves. And I love your group problem solving that you have as part of your intervention. I think the whole group environment so everyone can give each other ideas. But with my husband, that was definitely the issue. He didn't necessarily want to take on more parenting tasks because he felt like I criticized his way of doing it. And, and that occurs a lot. So what we ended up realizing is that if he could give me a break by either me going away out the house for a while or him taking the kids out the house for a while, then he did it just on his own way that I wasn't there to make any comments. So that was in the end, what we realized is the help I needed wasn't necessarily the help in doing the things with the kids, but just at least getting time away. So that's been challenging. That's taken us a long time for us to work out that is our solution. But maybe you could say a little bit more about how parents can try and have these conversations with teachers or with each other. Yeah, it's a very important point. And what I would like to say is that it was just some examples. But what we learn in the group is that what is possible for one parent is not possible for another one. That's the reason why we must be creative. And that's the reason why we must consider that each balance is very specific and singular. And so for some parents, it's completely possible to discuss with the teacher because the teacher is open to some solution. Uh, for example, he knows very well what, what is hyperactivity and he can fully understand what happens at home and that it could be counterproductive for the child and for the parent to have too much homework to do. And yes, you can have this kind of discussion with the teacher. But for some other parent, it is just not possible because the school philosophy is not like that or the teacher has a very different ideas about equality in the classroom, for example, and he wants just that all the children have the same treatment. I don't know. But what we learn in the group is that because in the balance, there are numerous stressors and numerous resources available, we don't have to spend much time on those stressors or those resources which are not controllable, that we are not able to manage because we don't have all the power on all the stressors and all the resources. And what we learn is that we must make a choice among the different stressors and among the different resources to change the balance, to rebalance the balance. And because we have no, no much energy like a burnout parent, so we are exhausted. So we must go through stressors or resources on which we have a certain kind, a certain level of control. That makes so much sense. We do have more control than we realize. The example of co-parenting is also an important one because in some families, you have a partner who is completely available to help. But in other families, you cannot count on that. And it would be a very strong and hard um, conflict to gain much more help from the partner. And so we don't have to go in this way because the cost-benefit ratio is not good. And so in this case, as we start the, the treatment group by 
representing the balance. And in my experience with hundreds of parents, the number uh, of uh, stressors is very high and the number of resources is very high. And when we have all the, the stressors and the resources on the table, we make some categories depending on, okay, what are the stressors I'm able to control? What are the stressors which have the best cost-benefit ratio? And to start with those we have categorized in the best, the best cost-benefit ratio. It's just like you plan, for example, to, to have a break, to make a break, and to go to the restaurant with friends, okay? But for some parents, it's a good solution, but for others, it's not. Why? Because if you are an anxious parent or you feel easily guilty, you will go to the restaurant, but during the, the evening, you always think about my children. You won't be resourced by the event because it's not a good uh, cost-benefit. You needed some energy to organize the event, and at the end, you don't take uh, the best profit from this event because you have some uh, arguments in your mind, you are disappointed by the decisions you made to leave your children and so on. And so it's not a good uh, cost-benefit ratio. And so it's really important that each parent consider what is just possible for him or for her. It's just for the extracurricular activity, maybe that in your personal history, you, don't, you didn't have the chance to have such kind of activities. And so for you, it's so important that your child has the opportunity to optimize the, uh, his or her development. And so you cannot accept to, to remove this stressor from your balance. It's not a problem. You won't never put pressure on the parents for, to make them they, they agree to remove this kind or this kind of stressor from the balance. It's just like how they are able to do with the energy they have and with their personality, their temperament, their personality, their standards and so on. We do not put any kind of pressure. They have a lot of pressure like bird out parents. And so what is possible for one parent is not possible for another. And it's just the same for the example of the teacher. Sometimes it's possible and sometimes it's not. I think that's really helpful. I remember the first times I did take breaks from the kids. I took the kids with me in my mind, but I did learn to stop it just was so new for me. So, so I did have to work through it. But I think what you're describing is having these lists and, and seeing how many stresses you have the potential to change and how many resources you have the potential to leverage. And then it seems like it, it's an experiment because sometimes you don't know, try it a few times and okay, that one's not working. Let's move to the next one. Because I agree, the solutions don't necessarily appear immediately. And I know that feeling of how demoralizing it can be when you thought you did something to, to help yourself and then it didn't work, that you can feel even more frustrated. And we must keep the energy to go through the stressors or the resources that we can manage at this moment. And this is a dynamic process. So maybe it will be possible in the next few months, for example, to work on co-parenting. But maybe that now it's just not possible because the partner is not ready to do that. 
okay, so we will try with another kind of stressor and resources. Mm -hmm. But don't take it off the table entirely because as time goes on, that could change. Yeah, I I think you're right. It's really being very flexible and adaptive, which again, we learn as parents a lot of times to be like that, but maybe we don't apply it necessarily to these situations. One of the other things I wanted to ask you about is you had done an international study of parental burnout. What did you learn from that study? Okay, so the objective at the very beginning was to estimate the prevalence of parental burnout around the world. And so the idea was to gather as much countries as possible, representing all the five continents. And we had in mind that maybe the prevalence would be the same everywhere, but the reason why a mom or a dad is exhausted in Africa is really different from the reasons why we are exhausted in the USA or in Belgium or in France. Or the other hypothesis was that the prevalence would be really different because some cultural factors would be at work. So just like you you told earlier, you are not a parent irrespective of your environment. And so you raise your children in a certain society with certain values and so on. And uh, so the aim was to estimate prevalence, but also to estimate the role played by some cultural factors and to see how we can explain the differences in prevalence rates across countries. And so what we found was that, so the first surprise (laughs) was that it was really easy to gather a lot of countries. So I, I didn't know how my... African colleagues, for example, would be interested by the topic because it's not, it, it was not really obvious that they, they will find it interesting for the parents in Togo or in Cameroon or I don't know. But the, the first surprise was that all of the colleagues around the world were very interested by the topic. And so we gather more than 40 countries in the consortium. Now we are almost 50. So everybody found that it was a problem in their country. (laughs) They were aware of it. Yeah. I don't know if it was a problem, but it made sense, at least. (laughs) And so they agreed to to be uh, involved in this uh, international consortium. And uh, we had a common survey, a common protocol to estimate so the, the symptoms of parental burnout. And we had a, a cutoff, a clinical cutoff to categorize those parents who were in burnout and those who were not in burnout. And we used uh, exactly the same criteria uh, around the world. And what we found was that the prevalence rates were highly different from one culture to another, so from one country to another. And it was not a random effect because when we see the map, the world map, the highest prevalence were found in Western countries, in the north of the world map. And in the south of the world map, we had prevalence that were sometimes near to zero. And in Western countries, uh, the prevalence reached 8%, like in the United States, but also in Belgium. And so we try to explain the difference in the prevalence rates uh, across countries. And what we had in mind is that maybe that it was uh, due to demographic variables. So, for example, the family types in some countries, you have multi-generational families or polygamous families. It's really different of the situation of single-hood parenting. 
or like step families uh, in our countries. But we also thought about some demographic aspects like the number of children as in Belgium, but also it's the same, I think, in the United States. The average number of a child in each family is rather low compared to what we found in Togo or in some other African countries. So we consider several uh, social demographic variables like educational level and working status and so on. And the second set of variables we considered were that we wanted to control for social economic factors. So like the gross uh, domestic product in each country, because yes, it's really important to consider that in some countries you receive uh, some help from, from the states as a family, as a parent. And the third set uh, of uh, variables were the, the values cultural values, and we consider individualism and collectivism. And what we saw when we put all these uh, explanations in a model was that the only value which uh, was able to explain the differences in prevalence rates was individualism. And that was really amazing to see that it was in the countries where the average number of children was the lowest, in the countries where we spent the average number of hours with the children, which was the lowest, but also the countries which were the, the richer and the more individualistic and the more egalitarian, that we found the highest prevalence in parental burnout. And uh, yes, it was really amazing to have these findings and to try to understand the role played by individualistic culture in parental burnout. And there are several explanations that I can provide you if you are interested. Yes, please do. And I think it's something that I think about a lot, having come from Europe, where I would say we have the social the, the cultural environment, I felt a really big difference coming to the US and the focus on individualism versus social support and was really has been astounding for me to experience. Yes, I'd love to hear more about that. So there are several explanations about the way that individualism produces parental exhaustion. So the first one is that, of course, in individualistic countries, you must be self-reliant. And so you learn that asking some help from others is like, is, as you say, okay, I'm not able to be a parent by myself. And so asking for help is not a good avenue when you meet some problems. But we know that the parental role involved a lot of responsibilities and tasks and individualistic countries, parenting became a very solitary activity. And uh, it is not possible to have all these kind of responsibilities and to task alone because it's too hard, it's too heavy. In, in the African countries, they say that to rear a child, we need almost one village. <laughs> and uh, we completely lose this kind of parental community. Yes, in individualistic country, you just have to be self-reliant and count on yourself as a parent. And for the single parents, it's really problematic because they are just alone to cope with all the responsibilities and the tasks. And yeah, it's really exhausting. So it's the first mechanism. That makes sense. Asking for help is hard here. And we don't talk about how hard parenting is. It seems more of a competition to be like a superhero. The second one is that in individualistic country, we transmit our children individualistic values also. So we learn them to be assertive, to give their opinion, 
to say no with when they do not want to do uh, something, to have their own ideas, to be creative, to go their own way. <laughs> okay, that's fine to become an adult in, a, in an individualistic country, but at the same time, it's really hard to have children who say no, who provide their opinion all of the time, because each time you ask something, you have to negotiate to justify why you ask them to do something now and not in, in two hours, for example. And so it's really different from what happens in Asian countries, for example. There, they have a very important value, which is uh, filial piety. That means that it's a respectful attitude towards the eldest, toward the adult. And so a child must be obedient and they do not have to ask why the adult make this kind of request or something like that. They just have to obey the, the adult. And it's less exhausting to be a parent of an obedient child than to be a parent of an assertive child. And so, yeah, in individualistic countries, we have children who are by themselves exhausting children. So it's another kind of mechanism. That's so interesting. I never thought about how we make our children more demanding. Maybe my parents were not burned out because we were taught to be seen and not heard. A third kind is that in individualistic countries also, individualism is associated with value like competition. And so we always compare ourselves to other parents. And the role of the social media in this, in this matter is really important because on social media, all of the families share only the best of themselves. Imagine that you were on holidays. Holidays were really awful. But the only moments you have a picture on which everyone is smiling, you will just post this one. And that belief to other parents that in your family, everything is perfect. And so we, when we compare ourselves to the other families, to the other parents through the social media posts, but also what we imagine that happens in our families, we want to be the best parent, to have the best children. We want that... My child will be the best at school, that he will be chosen by the trainer in the football, for the football match. I want they have the best success. I want them to perform in their, at school, but also in their extracurricular activities. I want always to optimize the children to, for them to be the best, but I also want to be the best mother or, and my husband want to be the best father. And so we have high standards because in individualistic countries, we have the competitiveness as an important value. And it's really exhausting to live in such kind of environment when you always strive <laughs> to be better than yesterday and to be better tomorrow than today. And so, yeah, high standards. Um, I agree that sounds exhausting. I am so glad I have not been on social media. And if you are a perf perfectionist person, you will be very sensitive to recommendations to parents about how to feed, how to play, how to sleep. And you will try all the days to fit with all the recommendations. If not, you will feel guilty for not being uh, completely aligned with those recommendations. And yet it's really exhausting. And the last avenue is that also the individualistic countries are the most egalitarian uh, countries. So, for example, I can experience equality in the political life, in health, 
but also in, in my job, I have the same salary that my counterparts, male counterparts in the university, for example. But there is one area where equality is not achieved and it's parenting. In most of the international uh, surveys, we see that 70% of caring and uh, child rearing is always due to mothers because there are strong essential beliefs about parenting that makes the, the mother to be the first caregiver. And uh, in the specific area of parenting, that makes that I have unfulfilled expectations. I have expectations which are egalitarian expectations, which are very high because I can experiment them in some parts of my life. But especially in parenting, I cannot achieve equality uh, because in this specific area, my expectations are not fulfilled. And because of this unfulfilled expectation, I feel frustrated by receiving less equality that I think that I, I can rate from my partner, for example. And yes, the frustration regarding parenting is really high. And in traditional countries, they do not have such kind of expectation. Mothers are just in the role of the mother and fathers are in the role of the father, but there are no egalitarian expectations. We know that in most of cases in psychological syndromes, it's not the objective reality that matters, but the subjective uh, perception appraisal of the reality which matters. And here, the unfulfilled expectations could be the, the mechanism and the reason why in the most egalitarian countries, the prevalence of burnout is the highest. That's fascinating. And it makes sense. So that cognitive dissonance between what you want and, and then what you actually receive, that's fascinating. I think one other question I had was thinking about one of the clients that I work with. A company was considering providing coaching services for people at work who had burnout. And in my mind, I was thinking very much about Christina Maslach's burnout and saying, okay, this burnout comes from pressures in the workplace and it's not necessarily the individual's fault and that, that self-care may not be the answer. The demand in the workplace has to change. Workplaces need to acknowledge who we are outside of work and need to acknowledge that we're parents. If there are parenting groups within works where employees who are parents together meet, they can brainstorm all these solutions together. They can gain um, support and realize they're not alone. So I was trying to think about that. If you offered your parental interventions to parents in the workplace, would it be sending the wrong message or is that a potential place that you think it, it could be um, an opportunity? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have different kinds of ideas. So on the one hand, I think that it could be a good idea because I think that colleagues, but also your the workplace could be a good way to receive support, to be a good way to integrate uh, the different areas in your life. And uh, yeah, to be aware that your uh, colleagues, but also your, your leader or your boss is aware of your personal situation maybe a good avenue for some parents to, yeah, to be confident that they are understood about some decision they will make or difficulties they, they meet. But on the other hand, I think that for some parents, it's really important to uh, make a difference between the different areas in their life and to recognize that they have several identities 
and they maybe they do not want that their professional relationships would be involved in their personal life and that everyone at work knows know what happens at home what happens with the children and they just would like to have a private life and so i'm not sure that it would be a universal solution i think that just as we consider that the balance is, is something which is always singular i think that uh, the choice would be left to the parent to receive some help from the workplace or not uh, about parenting because i think that for some of them it won't be good avenue and that yes you can keep your private life away from from the workplace and it's really important when for example as as i told you at the very beginning of the interview it would be important for parents who consider that family life is a safe haven with regard to the workplace and so they do not want that there are so cross boundaries because it's important for them to preserve yeah to keep safe their their family life or their workplace so i am not sure it would be a universal solution but it could be a good solution in some situations and for some parents but again i think that we always must individualize uh, the process and it it is not there is no uh, universal recept or potion that would help us to help all the parents in the same way no i i think that's uh, really important to understand and thank you for being so thoughtful about it so going forward what's next for you with your research how do you continue to be so successful in your research with your kids and anything else you want to share I think that a good ingredient is that I really like the topic on which I work um passionate uh, about the topic and so it makes really sense for me and especially during the pandemic I realized how much parents needed some help and it was yeah it made sense for me to to involve my time in such kind of research which which is really meaningful from a theoretical background and theoretical point of view but also very meaningful for from a societal point of view and i really like for example the cultural issues and as you told not just considering that burnout is a personal uh, affair but it's also uh, to consider that parents do their parenting job in in a certain environment in a certain culture and that they are under pressure by this kind of culture and they do not do just what they would like to do but what they are recommended to do and what they are expected to do and so i really like this is a very rich domain area and it's stimulating and i need to be stimulated and i i think also that it's a very good fit with my personal life because i'm really involved as a mother i like being a mother i have five children who who are singular people <laughs> and they have uh, each of them as is or her own temperament her own difficulties own resources and uh, i really like such kind of diversity but i have much empathy towards all the parents in the world because i can see how much it's difficult to be a good mom just a, a good enough mom uh, without too high standards and to keep safe from all these recommendations and just to be happy with the children to be 
like you are and you are able to be like a mother with the partner you have, with the challenges you have to face and to cope with. So I'm really full of empathy. So it makes highly sense both in my in my job area, but also in my personal life. And uh, I think it helps me to, to manage both um, domains in my life and to keep a sort of balance between my job and also my personal life. Yes, I think so. But I, I have also the change to have a very good partner in my life. So I realized that in my own balance, I have lots of resources through my partner, but also I have children who are healthy, who do not have behavioral problems, who do not have school problems. And yeah, they are just not perfect kids, but good kids. And I do not met a very hard problem at that time, at this time. And yes, I'm completely aware that in my own balance, I have full of resources because of my personality. I'm someone who is positive, enthusiastic, and but also because I have a good partner and good children, and I'm in a good environment and do not have financial problems and so on. And that's the amount of stressors I have to cope with uh, is limited. And I'm aware that not all the parents have the same chance uh, than me. And yes, I think that's that's why I'm able to, uh, to lead all these uh, research projects and to continue my way <laughs> and to be uh, happy with my position, but also with my life as a mother. Mm-hmm. And I can relate to that passion for what you do. And that always drove me. And I think that was part of what was such a struggle with burning out and and leaving my job is I lost that passion that I had. So I'm happy now to have understood a bit more about burnout and to be trying to develop this new passion in my life, which is to be able to help other mums with burnout. And I, I agree with you in terms of every time I learn something that, that I think might help someone else, I'm also learning what can help me too. And so I, I like that uh, synergy between the two areas. Instead of feeling guilty while I'm reading this paper about parenting, I can say, oh, it's helping me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for listening today. You can find helpful resources from each guest and key takeaways on the podcast website at www.drjacquelinecurr.com slash podcast. You can download additional resources on the website, including this week's behavior change guide, which focuses on letting go of too many extracurricular activities. I would love to hear your burnout story, which key takeaways helped you, ideas for topics you want me to cover, or guests to interview. Please complete the feedback form on the website, again, drjacquelinecurr.com slash podcast, or comment in the episode post in LinkedIn under Dr. Jacqueline Kerr. I want to learn more about meeting your needs. If you are enjoying these episodes, please rate, review, and subscribe or follow the podcast wherever you listen. Thank you. And please remember, burnout can be related to serious health problems. If you're experiencing physical or mental health symptoms, please contact a health provider 
or call the appropriate helpline. This podcast does not replace medical advice. Take care. Take control, you're a fighter.